everyone. Uh, welcome to Snowpal's uh, Software Development and Architecture Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Megli Plesier. She or her is a senior product executive with a proven track record of improving the bottom line of over 10 products. She has a reputation for finding product market fit, turning around underperforming products and increasing adoption. With a background in aeronautical engineering and economics, uh, Megli started her career in analytics before transitioning to technology and discovering her passion for product management. She takes a holistic approach to the entire customer experience and has been recognized for her ability to bridge the gap between people, process, and technology. Megli is a creator and host of the Product Perspectives podcast, where she invites stakeholders to discuss how to collaborate more effectively with product managers. As a former elite artistic swimmer and channel swimmer, she embodies the values of teamwork, accountability, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, Megli, thank you so much for taking the time to, to hop on this podcast. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about the topics we've discussed and uh, that I'm very passionate about. Oh, lovely. Uh, without further ado, I want to get started. Uh, I uh, did, uh, I Megli shared her book with me. I'm going to do a quick screen share here for folks and we're going to include links and things of that nature so you can actually uh, uh, purchase the book and take a look at it. Let me uh, do a screen share quickly to just show folks the. Yep, uh, this is the book, Future Proofing Product Management, a guide to current trends and beyond. So uh, Megli sent me the uh, the ebook and I read it and it, it's phenomenal. So I highly recommend you take a look at that. It uh, doesn't matter, I looked at it from an, uh, as somebody who's running a startup, uh, as somebody who does product management, but that's not my forte. Uh, but there were items in the book that completely and immediately resonated with me. So I jotted down some points and uh, they're not in any particular order other than the fact that they might be in the order of the pages and the way it's listed in the book. Uh, but you know, if my past is anything to go by, I'm most likely going to jump between those pages. So so apologies, Megli, if, if it's not in a uh, sequence here. Yep. That's okay. We'll try and link the pieces together. Okay, <laughs> so they make sense. And, and what I'm going to do is, uh, time to and you know in the introduction I almost always forget my introduction to the to the audiences so I'll take like 20 seconds to just say for people who haven't watched any of my previous podcasts before so my name is Krish I live in the west uh, a few miles west of Washington DC I run a software startup uh, we have several products in production uh, you can go to like snowpal.com aws.snowpal.com ios.snowpal.com there's plenty of subdomains we have I'm not going to bore you with those links. I just add the links in the podcast. You can take a look at our products. Uh, essentially, we build software. We do that for a living. We love doing that. I personally have no other skills. So if I couldn't, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. Uh, the people I invite to the podcast, when they have the description, much like uh, you, Megli, the people have more skills, a lot more skills. So they have like alternate uh, careers they could choose. Some of us are not blessed with that. We only know one thing. We're like very monolithic, right? So when I read this, uh, my idea in inviting folks, uh, experts such as yourself is understanding every facet of engineering and software development, uh, more from uh, from a pers from the perspective of somebody who have yet not had the pleasure of working with, right? That's the whole idea. And my questions are going to be uh, kind of, the conversation is going to be around the book, the points I took from the book and tying it to my personal experience and professional experience as well, right? Hopefully that makes sense, yep. Cool. So let me go to my notes here. Okay. 
Um, the first point and uh, the first set of questions might come across as though they are arbitrary, but there, there is a method to the madness. So just please bear with me till we get to that point. Yep. On page 10, uh, there's something you mentioned that caught my attention. Uh, the unique selling proposition you mentioned becomes a standard offering, right? And again, for folks who, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm getting deeper into the book right away, right? Without in, a lot of introduction here. So certainly uh, I'm going to call out for the page numbers where we, when we have this, if I do remember the page numbers, or you can just search these, these, the quotes from the book to find those particular items, right? So on page 10, um, you had mentioned, Megali, that unique selling propositions, at some point, uh, they become standard offerings, right? You had mentioned that it starts out as very cool. They're excited about it. Then there's a graph that speaks to it. Uh, but after a period of time, you're like, hey, they start expecting that. It's not special anymore. Um, that was, that, it caught my attention immediately. And I just wanted your thoughts on it. And how do you think product managers should handle that proactively? Mm -hmm. Uh, great. Uh, thank you for mentioning the page numbers because then I can go back to the book as yeah. well. I've got it opened yeah. on the side. Um, so just to give a couple of examples. Well, photos you've got behind you, right? The photos that are digital photos. Back in the days, it was a novelty to have digital photography, right? right. And now it's just expected. It's just normal. And we don't even use cameras. We use our phones now. So things that were very innovative before just become you know, commodities, things that we are used to. Another example, if I you know, carry on with phones, when the first smartphone came out, well, it was all very excited. And now most people who have a phone choose to have a smartphone. So all these things, all the things we build in technology, initially they are novelties, but over time they lose for the user, this sense of excitement. Like we're not excited anymore about being able to use your fingerprints to unlock your phone. That is just expected. So that's the, the point I'm trying to make with that is that right now there are some trends in product management and in technology in general, which are starting to grow and grow and grow. And you need to jump on them and implement those things now, because otherwise you may take the train too late and these things are going to be expected. All your competitors will have implemented them. Uh, so that's how it applies to product management. If I take some of the, the trends we see, uh, what's, the, what's the top one that maybe you haven't picked because I don't know which ones you've picked, but uh, product-led growth is one. I don't know if you, we're going to develop this one later, but product-led growth, we've been talking about it for no, I have At that. Actually, I have that. So I have that as a point as well. Product led, but please, okay. go, please keep going. Yeah, yeah. we we can develop it uh, later. But we've been talking about it for two years. Product operations. There's a new book from um, Melissa Perry, and she said she has spent three years working on this book on product operations. So it means that product operations was already something that was around three years ago when people started to think about this. So if your company and I'm not talking about your startup, you know, I'm talking about maybe bigger companies who need this kind of team to support their product management team, don't have, doesn't have product operations, then it's time to think about it now rather than wait, because it becomes a way not only to be better at creating products, but also to attract talent. If I interview in a with a company, 
and they don't have a product operations team, well, I'm going to think they're not as mature as they should be. And maybe I don't want to work with them because I know that I'm not going to be supported by a product operations team in my job. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. So, so in other words, I think your example is awesome, right? You took photo uh, photographs and you took smartphones, right? Um, like, in other words, what you're saying is if you're building, if you're creating a new phone today, hypothetically, it's not good enough that you you say, hey, I have like, you know, fingerprints, I can do, you know, facial re recognition or anything of that nature, because it's already there, it's expected. So you're going to have to continually keep ahead of the curve, because in your graph, you, admit, you know, it's pretty good because it says something that's really exciting to somebody at certain point of time. After a while, you get used to it and you take that for granted, right? It's 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 just by, in every aspect of life, we do it in our personal lives and it doesn't change dramatically from a professional standpoint as well, right? Okay, that, exactly. that makes sense. So let me go to the, the next point I have here, right? Uh, which is which is not from your book. I just have this interspersed with questions I had and also I want to mix them with what items in your book, right? So the next question is not from the book. But, you know, uh, here's my question. I've worked with folks, you know, I've been building software for a long time. And a number of people I've worked with as developers years ago, uh, you know, different people, you know, have different interests as, as their career progresses. And a lot of them have become product managers. Some of them come from technical backgrounds in the sense that they were coders for a long time. And then they became product managers, right? But I also know some phenomenally talented, really smart product managers who start out as product managers from the get-go. They, they were never coders to begin with, right? Uh, in your experience, what do you think are the fundamental differences or challenges? Like, I mean, is, is one, I mean, I'm not saying one one of them could be, couldn't be better than the other necessarily, but I just wanted your thoughts and perspectives on what you've seen the differences might be in these two cases. Okay, well, first of all, I'm actually very surprised that you say some people started straight away as product managers because, I have only met one person, and actually that was quite recent in the last week, but that was a person with a 21-year-old still at university, and uh, she's starting, um, she's working in a startup, and she starts directly as a product manager. But I think certainly my generation, so you know, 10 years more than that, nobody started as a product manager because the role didn't exist. And if it did in some companies, it wasn't called product management, and we also didn't know about it. So if you take my journey, for example, I didn't start as a product manager. But I agree that there are lots of developers, I think developers, designers as well, product marketers moving into product management. And I think it's good that there is this diversity of profile, because as you will have seen in the book, one of the trends is a sort of specialization of product management. So. Before, you used to be able to move between like B2B and B2C much more easily, uh, from a, an API product to a mobile product much more easily. Now it's really getting specialized. And I think these different profiles are probably better suited for some specialization. So maybe engineers who can understand more of the technical details are maybe more suited for roles around API, for roles around um, like identity and security, platform roles, things like this. Maybe designers are more interested in things that involve a lot of UI work. And that doesn't mean a, a designer is not going to be technical or you know, same for a product marketer. And, you know, but I think it's good to have a variety of profile. I don't see this as a, an, 
an issue or an advantage because it really depends on your ability to learn. Uh, I think it's all about curiosity, being able to learn about the domain, about your customers, and then about the product and the technical side of it. Uh, so it's your curiosity and uh, what you enjoy working on and just being surrounded by people who can support you in your learning journey. If you need to be a bit more technical then you're not a, a, an engineer initially. Okay, it makes sense, right? So you're saying just to recap that in your experience, you've seen a lot of the people you said you only have, you know, one person that you can think of right now who actually is starting out as a product manager, but a lot of the other people you've worked with have actually started out, should I say, as probably developers have made their journey and evolution into product management? Uh, there is a mix, really. Developers, designers, marketers. I was a data analyst um, with a background in engineering. There's, there's a mix. Okay, that's mix. Lovely, right? Okay, perfect. Let's go to the next point. Next point is, again, from your book. It's on page 15. Uh, you talk about demand for product managers and their salaries across some geographical regions, right? That's that's on page 15. And the okay. question I had related to that was uh, a new enhancement dev implemented by a developer in India isn't necessarily different from one implemented by a similar one in the US. What I mean by that is when I take a technical requirement, uh, it's, it's basically, hey, it doesn't matter where you're located. If I communicate and share the technical requirement accurately, that's that's a lot of the challenge there. But if I did that, and assuming Cetris Paribus conditions, uh, the expectation is to a large extent that the outcome is going to be similar. I mean, I'm assuming against Cetris Paribus conditions, right? The engineer has the same experience, you know, they have all the knowledge about the stack, yada, 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 right? But that's that's one point. But my question here is, is it possible that a product manager living in India, say another geographical region, I just take India as an example, might define the future direction of the exact same product that they're working on ever so slightly, but still differently, given cultural difference in cultural differences and variations in expectations uh, driven by a variety of geographical factors, right? Uh, whatever those factors happen to be, or does that make no difference? And if this question is unclear, let me know, I can repeat that, but that's, that's my question. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. At the beginning, I was really nodding because they're like, yes, it, it shouldn't, really matter where you're based, if you are told to do something, you're going to do it the same. So I think your example with developers um, is a good one. Uh, not saying that there's no creativity in development, not saying that um, the, the geographical dimension and the, the cultural one doesn't have any impact. But if you think about it, that is why we think uh, a big move, and we've been seeing it for years now, uh, towards having development team in cheaper countries. So we had the move like within Europe with like Poland and like Eastern Europe. And then we have the move with like hiring more and more development team in India as well. So this is happening and this is definitely increasing the, the competition. Now, could there be differences in the way they think? Uh, definitely, I would say conscious ones. Like, for example, sometimes you want to launch a product in a specific market. So if you're targeting to launch your product in the UK, well, it is better to understand what life is like. Let's take a consumer product here. What life is like in the UK to understand how people live here, to be able to better define what uh, the ideal user experience is. If I take a B2B product, for example, maybe there are some uh, legal constraints and the way that businesses operate in the UK may be different from uh, in India. 
and evolve, you can gain that knowledge, I guess, but it's, it's probably easier, right? That is why sales teams are located, you know, in the countries locally so that they can really be in the market and, and get all the culture and serve better customers. So I think there's a bit of that, like you probably have more knowledge uh, of the market. But the second thing, which probably is not as good, is there's certainly some kind of bias, which can be unconscious. Like we have that, there's a Western bias, right? We build a lot of things based on the way we do things in, in the West. Right. Um, <laughs> I see you smiling, yeah. No, but, uh, but, but... That's, that's very understandable too, right? <laughs> see, as somebody who grew up in India, I was like, I think I was like 21 when I moved to the US, right? So I've lived most of my life here. Um, when you say, you know, it, it is true, right? There, there is this unconscious bias, but but it is unconscious meaning in my mind, people are good in, people are good, I mean, people are good in general, right? But it's something that we are used to and you have to go the extra mile, sometimes extra 10 miles to, to not have that. So I think to me, uh, uh, it's completely understandable, right? I mean, I don't, personally speaking, at least I was like, you know, it's very natural. You're growing up in a place, there is a culture and you're exposed to the culture. So when I came here, you know, I can give you a, a very random example, right? You know, at the time in India, the, the WWF, was, was it probably that's what it was called. I had watched that and I came to the US thinking at the time, everybody was like six foot, five inches tall. And everybody was like, you know, you know, I just had that image in my mind. Um, so the guy who came to pick me up, the Texan guy at the airport in Houston, uh, this is a true story. All of my, uh, you know, naturally, I'm just sharing my experience here, right? Uh, when I looked at him, his name was uh, Mike, right? I was like, sure, you're American. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you don't look anything like the people I had seen on WWF, or like on TV, right? So even even as somebody who, was, who went, uh, you know, it's not like I thought everybody was six foot five or whatever, but, you know, just the, in my mind, I, that's that was the interpretation I came with. And then I, the other thing, assumption I had was, you know, America is a land of milk and honey, right? I mean, America is a beautiful country. Land of milk and honey? Depends, right? So when I came here at the airport, uh, I had to pay like $2.75 to get out of the parking lot, right? Uh, and then he's like, Krish, I don't have like two bucks. Do you have like $3 to pay for this? I was like, am I? Did I get on the right plane? Did I really come to the land of the milk and honey, right? So I'm just giving you two random examples of uh, you know, a stereotype sometimes is a strong word, but I think it's very natural to have these biases. But the beauty is, I think in the West, that's where I live, so I can only really speak to it. We are making a very conscious effort in, in not having that, right? And that effort is so conscious that it's just beautifully amazing, right? The fact that we recognize that there could be an uh, unconscious bias and you're taking steps towards improving it is anything and everything you could possibly do as human. Because as a coder, I look at the code I wrote a couple of days back, and I'm like, uh, I improve upon that, right? And then I look at it tomorrow. The next day, I improve upon it. And a week goes by and I look at the same code. I'm like, who in the world wrote this code? And then I'm like, oh my God, Chris, you wrote it last week when you thought that was the best way to write that particular code. So we live and learn and improve along the ways if that makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think the, this is a, a great example. So hence why being the location you're in influences your your perception but i would go beyond it's not just the the location right it applies to all the like characteristic you know ethnicity gender all of that influences the way you think and therefore the decisions you're going to make and if you remember one of the examples i gave at the in in chapter 1 of the book as well about how 
Twitter had an algorithm which supposedly was favoring um, white men, then they didn't spot it, maybe because they didn't have the right diversity in the team, but somebody who is a person of color would have spotted it. So every aspect like this is not just your geographical location, but also those characteristic influence the decision you make. Perfect, right? So let me dig a little bit deeper into that particular item because it's, it's more more interesting to me because I work with uh, people in all aspects of, of this this field on, a, on almost on a daily basis, right? If it's a developer, I can, I think like a developer because that's what I am, right? And then it's, it comes a bit more naturally. Things that don't come naturally, you're going to have to make an extra effort to, to make that happen or at least pretend as though you know that item, much like podcasting, for instance. So in that context, if I am a product manager, if I have an interest in getting into product management, and I don't live in, in the same country where the product is being built, right? I'm working in a remote team. Uh, I know how I would, from a dev standpoint, I know how to approach the problem. But what are there some takeaways here? Like, what would you recommend? Like, let's say I'm living in the US and I'm building work, I'm working as a product manager for a product that's being built in Thailand, for instance, right? Just very hypothetical examples. Are there some things that you would recommend that I, I mean, it would travel help here? Like, I'm just thinking aloud, what, what would be something that could help this cause? So just to confirm, it's a product that can be sold anywhere, maybe in the US first. You're based in the US as a product manager, but your development team is in Thailand. Correct, right? Let's yeah. take that as an example, right? Okay. And how and the product manager needs to sort of understand the the pro maybe it's sold, maybe it's sold elsewhere too, because it's a software product, right? Yes. But I just want to make the question even more difficult. Let's assume that the product is actually not sold across the globe, right? Let's say your initial launch happens to be just in the US and that person lives in Thailand and they have not yet made a trip here. How should they go about this? I think I think that's a situation that's not just limited to product and development. I think it's a situation that happens all the time uh, in big companies that have either outsourced or have relocated or selected teams uh, offshore. It can be your IT center. <laughs> right. uh, it can be any function that you've decided to move to a company, a country that has a lower cost. Um, so it, there's, a, there's a communication challenge here, but that's not inherent to development of a product. And I've, I've been in that situation. What I found is that um, if you, if you, first of all, you were talking about bringing the, the in, unconscious conscious and being really aware of this, I think some HR team do this very well. Like they actually provide training for that. So I remember one training course, which was about how the different um, people from different countries communicate differently and how I'm going to take the example because I'm French, like you know, tend to be very direct <laughs> and I don't mind conflict, but then people in Britain who have been living for eight years now, um, aren't so direct. Uh, they say, sorry, a lot. Don't really want to go straight to the point, do a bit of chit chat before, and then try and avoid conflict as much as possible. Right. right. Um, and I remember always with the colleagues I had in India who would send when they wanted to ask me something on the company messaging system, they would say, hi, Megali, and then wait for me to respond. 
<laughs> and then, how are you, Magali? And then wait for me to respond. And then I would like to ask you something and then wait for me to respond and then ask me. And I'm like, just, just say it like straight away, right? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I can completely relate to it. And it's not just you who surprises, who's probably not from India, I promise you. Like I said, I grew up in India and even though I've never worked there, I just went to school and I came here. I have the exact same experience and I, I don't actually say, you know, when, they, when somebody says hello, I'm like, sure. But in, on LinkedIn, when somebody's connecting with me and just saying hello, I, I don't even know what to do. A lot of times I don't even get a response because there's a lot of hellos there and you're not even sure what the purpose behind the reach out is, right? So that's, that's like a brilliant point. And I add one more example to this, right? Uh, let's say take Indian food as an example. And this is like a personal opinion, at least a family opinion, right? Indian food in the US, is it good, bad, or personal opinion, right? People may or may not agree. I think it's not that great. Like Indian food in the US is not that great at all. Uh, if you want to have great Indian food, sure, you want to. You have to be in that country. Like just like you want great, uh, you know, uh, Mexican food, you want to probably be in Mexico. But outside of that, there are a couple of countries you can be in, right? You could go to Singapore and have fantastic Indian food, right? We've been to England a couple of times. I was just stunned as to how great the food in England was, the Indian food in England was, right? It's perfect, right? Uh, not so much here. Now, if I took product management and just outside of engineering, right? I know both of us are engineers, but if for a moment, if I just took it outside engineering, uh, if somebody who is a, a great Indian chef, who, you know, somebody came here, uh, so the, the restaurant socialized the items in the menu with, with that person, and then they provided some feedback or whatever, right? From a product management situation. I have to believe the food probably is going to taste a little bit different, right? It, it's going to taste different because it comes closer to the, those cultures. Now, is it feasible all the time to bring somebody here to, to have that element of training and producing it? It's not necessarily possible, right? So what people do, they look up recipes and they try they try to regurgitate those recipes and make them... I shouldn't be talking about cooking... Uh, given how little I, I know of that, but I, it's just a beautiful topic in general. And I watch Mark Wiens on, on YouTube all the time. So it's just amazing and you're inspired by these great people. So the point I'm trying to make, even in a long-winded, even though it's in a long-winded fashion is you have to learn those items from people uh, who are uh, either selling it in those parts of the world or are more familiar with those items. And wh whatever, what that effort is that you might need to take, it cannot be, it's not a silver bullet, right? You're going to have to do whatever it takes. But I think there is, in my mind, when I was reading that part of the book, to me, it resonated as a challenge because I work with folks from all parts of the world from an engineering standpoint. Uh, and sometimes even the location of a button on a page, right? It's, it's a very simple thing. There is a button on a page and you're placing the button. Where that button should be placed uh, from a UX standpoint, uh, it's just amazing that it ends up being remarkably different uh, and it's not just geographical. I mean, if it's geographical, it should be even more narrowed down because three people in the house that we are, where we live, my wife, my son, and I think the button should be in probably three different places too, right? So it's not just geographical across seas, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's important when it comes to software, it's just a button. And I did a podcast on, it's just a button. I think that's what I titled that. How difficult could it be to implement it, right? It could take several hours because you cannot come to a consensus on what that button should do, where it should be situated, what the color of the button should be, et cetera, and so on and so forth, right? So I guess the point is, if you are in the same place, you're co-located, you share the same cultures and the product is sold, then life can be a little bit easier. 
but in a very diversified uh, world where we all live in, I mean, in other words, geographically separated, right? Uh, we're going to have to take those initiatives to sort of learn. I don't know if I came up with a beautiful answer there, but I just want to call out for that challenge because I run into those challenges on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah I, I, think, uh, I think these are great points. And you're right that it is easier if we work with people who have the same perspective on things. Like, I don't know, if I just worked with white women, roughly my age, French, living in <laughs> London, maybe we would understand a bit more each other. And, and if you think about you know, your friends, how you pick your friends, very likely you have friends who look right. like you because that's easier. That's how you've got that shared experience, right? Um, but is it just a location thing? Yeah, it, it's more than that. It's more than just the where you live. It's also, yeah, all those no, other absolutely. characteristics we, we talked about. Uh, what, how I see product working with engineering and, and design as well is going together through that journey. So starting from really understanding the customer together and then um, validating the problem together and then like trying out different solutions and then deciding which solutions we gonna implement and then all the way to uh, release and post launch and all of that. But if we bring everybody on the journey, then that means everybody's got the same shared understanding as opposed to, okay, I did all the work as a product manager and then I tell you, this is how it is and you're, you're like, okay, why did we put the button here? Because you were not involved in that decision. Absolutely. But if you are involved from the beginning and we brainstorm and collaborate together, we can bring all those perspectives. And actually maybe where you want to put the button is actually better than what I had in mind, you know, and that's the diversity of And you may decide the button together. shouldn't even be there to begin with. The world, you know, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I want to add one more thing here, right? It's, it's also cultural, but I think uh, if, if people watching this, I want to say one thing, right? Uh, I think it's okay to question. It's okay to not necessarily, you know, you want to you want to be amicable, but that doesn't mean you have to strive to be in agreement, right? There's a fine line in my mind, at least, because if the idea is just trying to be in agreement, then you're trying to appease somebody before you got to whatever you're trying to get to solve here, right? By virtue of doing that, in my mind, I'm not sure you're doing justice to the problem, right? You're trying to appease the person in front of you, right? I think it is also, I've seen differences there because, you know, even when you grow up in the same part of the world with other people, we are all unique as individuals and humans, right? So I want to say that uh, some cultures, people tend to be a bit more timid, at least from what I've seen than others. Uh, and, you know, when I'm, you know, reaching out to people for this podcasting, Megley, there are someone, you know, people have, uh, someone told me that they Chris, you're the expert. So I'll just ask questions. I was like, no, I'm not the expert. Just because I've done something for a lengthy period of time, that doesn't make me an expert. That's not how you become an expert, right? You become an expert by doing it better than people, better than you. So it's for someone else to make the judgment. Uh, so I was trying to include that person in the conversation because her initial suggestion was to say that it'd be questions and me answering them. I was like, no, that wouldn't bode well for a good podcast. It'll be like you disagreeing with things that I'm saying or agreeing with them because your experience happens to be different. And I think that needs to be taken to work. And I think in the context of product management per se, I feel like it's extremely important because if, uh, if uh, you know, I've seen uh, cases where the product manager, say, tells the developer, Krish, get this done, right? Sure, I can get this done from an engineering standpoint, 
but there could be some issues that I foresee from, uh, from uh, you know, maybe scalability, maybe performance, maybe extensibility, whatever that stuff is, right? Maybe that's not relevant to the current problem, but maybe it is. The least I have to do is put it on the table. Say, hey, Megli, you know what? This is a great idea for the page and the feature. But if we did it this way, these are the repercussions of what that might be. And then you're like, oh, you know what? That makes sense. Or maybe that doesn't make sense. Or you're like, I know it, but I still want it this way. That's a perfect conversation to have, right? But where I see things falling apart is people executing to orders on in both directions, not actually digesting what problems they are solving. It's just uh, as, you know, as ridiculous as this might sound, I've been in situations where somebody's implementing something without actually a clue about what that feature is in terms of the community that feature is serving, right? How do I, how do I create that if I don't know who I'm catering to, even as, as an engineer? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, does that, does that resonate with you? I mean, does that make sense? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I just want to go back to your definition of expert. And I agree. It just bothers me so much when I see people on LinkedIn or everywhere saying I'm an expert. I'm like, no, you're not the one who judges if you're an expert. It's somebody yeah. else who has to say it. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention that because it feels good to hear it from somebody else. Um, but going back to, to your point, uh, definitely there's one other term that bothers me is, uh, oh, we're going to hand over things to engineering and i'm like no we're not gonna tell them like this is what you've got to build now like figure out the code no exactly going back to my previous point i think and to be fair there are different types of engineers some people like you really want to hear like all the story from the beginning be involved in the journey they can deal with the uncertainty as well at the beginning as we're not quite sure what we're going to do, which problem we're solving, how we're going to um, solve it as well. And, and some developers aren't interested in that. They just want to code. So fair enough, you know, and you've got to adapt to those different personalities. Um, but I definitely agree that the more context you have, the more, um, inputs you can give the more perspectives we've got at the table the better product yes absolutely definitely. right but the only thing i would add there is because i said it a little bit differently than i in hindsight wanted to say it uh it makes complete sense but the one thing one caveat there is i'm not recommending that you understand every aspect of what you're doing like if i'm joining a team for one of the, the beginnings of the company from 10 years ago before i implement that first feature Megli is like, Krish, can you just get this thing done, right? So I think there is, I mean, you want to understand what you're doing, but again, I'm not recommending to people that you try to understand every single thing because you need to show progress as well. You need to chug along with the team, right? I need to sort of make my, prove my worth and metal before Megli is going to take her time, uh, you know, to kind of tell me, hey, Krisha, this is why we're building this. So there is a balance there. I'm not recommending because sometimes I've had people ask me, how did we get here? Like questions from three years ago. Where are we going to go to like three years later? All that they have to do is write a query, for instance, right? I was like, okay, you know what? Let me give you context to the query and the and the world that that query lives in. That's a fair question to ask. But I don't want to go three years behind to give you context to the. I mean, I'm exaggerating this yeah. to make a point there, but just just to want to add that into the mix, right? So perfect. So this is an opportune time to go to the next page, page sixteen. Uh, and I'm sorry I'm calling out for the page numbers because 
uh, I, I want to, hopefully it's helpful, but I don't expect you to remember every page from a, like a several hundred page <laughs> book, but it's just that at least from, from a recording standpoint, you, you, I can go back and listen, people can listen to it. Or if somebody takes an interest to page 16 compared to 22, they at least know where to jump in that stuff, right? So go to page, page 16. You mentioned project, uh, you know, product management types, right? You mentioned four types there, core product manager, uh, growth product manager, platform product I don't know if it's you mentioned plan manager or management, but I'm using that loosely, but it's core growth platform and innovation, right? So you categorized uh, them into four uh, types of product managers per se. The question I have there, now again, we'll go into the details of what each of those happens to be, but here's the first question that popped up in my mind and it popped up from the context of Snowpal as a company where we, uh, have, you know, when you're a startup, you have one person do 10 different roles, right? It's just, just the, the nature of the beast. Uh, but even if I said one product manager is the least you would need at the very, very, very minimum, for instance, right? How do I, I have a couple of questions related to that, but even before we delve deeper into the specifics of those cat, the categorization, if I were to play the devil's advocate, Megley, and say, you know what? I can barely afford one product manager. Now you're asking me to hire like, four of them, uh, how do I go about it, right? What, what would the answer be? Uh, 